0: Welcome to Pullback. I'm Kyla, and I'm here with Kristen. hey Each episode, we normally challenge ourselves to try something new in ethical consumption, and then we tell you what we learned, fuck-ups and all. This episode is a companion piece to our episode that came out earlier this week about uh, Plastic-Free July. We were able to sit down with Sarah King, who is the head of the Oceans and Plastics campaign at Greenpeace Canada, to talk more about... Uh, plastics in general. And she had a lot of really interesting things to say. So
1: let's get into it. So Sarah, I'm curious to know sort of how you first uh, became sort of aware of the problem with plastics and how you first sort of got involved with uh, the fight against it.
2: Sure. So um, I actually started as a intern with Greenpeace um, in our US, Washington, DC office. Um, even though I grew up in Canada at the time, um, I was looking for an internship at an environmental organization and the ones in Canada weren't offering opportunities at that point. So I applied to our U.S. US office um, and that was back in 2006, I think. So when I came on board there, I was on the Oceans team and I was kind of responsible for supporting the U.S.-based um, oceans team in whatever campaigns they were working on. And one of them was the Defending Our Oceans ship tour. Um, And it was basically a ship tour where um, one of our ships was doing a tour in different areas, um, highlighting different threats to the oceans. And one of them was actually a visit to
1: the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. Interesting.
2: Yeah. And that was kind of, I would say, the first time that I really um, became more aware um, of the extent of the problem. Um, you know, I'd heard about it before that, but it was sort of my first introduction to really the the extent of of the issue um, and some of the major drivers of plastic pollution and the plastic waste crisis.
1: For sure, yeah. I'm wondering if you could just for listeners that might have heard about Greenpeace before, but may not know much about the organization. Can you tell us a little bit more about what Greenpeace does?
2: Sure. So Greenpeace is a global campaigning organization. So we work to expose essentially the major environmental threats um, to biodiversity and to uh, different communities around the world, Um, hold those that are Responsible for those threats, accountable, and push for solutions, um, green and just solutions to these problems, and ultimately work towards um, a more green and peaceful future in in all um, in all of those meanings. Uh, so no small task, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, you know, we really sure. we, uh, <laughs> we um, I would say we're most known for um, our nonviolent direct action approach, and um, you know, really working to. Yeah, push for the needed change that we need um, across our broken economic system.
1: Mm-hmm. And I hope I'm remembering this correctly, but I think Greenpeace was it was started in Canada, wasn't it? It was, yeah.
2: Greenpeace was founded in uh, 1971 in Vancouver, British Columbia. Oh, where I didn't I'm know based. that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> And now it's sort of all over the world. That's so great. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I'm part of sure. the, the Greenpeace UK's like mailing list. So every time they <laughs> climb on top of a freighter or something, they I get CC'd in those. <laughs>
2: oh, nice. Nice. Well, you should join the Canada. I should. List. Yeah. <laughs> and then you'll know what's happening here.
0: Yeah, I definitely I don't know why I like I'm like, I'm on the UK one, but not this one. That's uh,
1: silly me. <laughs> well, Kyla did just move back to Canada. Oh, yeah.
2: Right. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say you probably signed uh, a GPUK petition or something. And that I sure did. That. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice.
1: That's great. Uh, Sarah, i wonder if you could tell me a little bit about Greenpeace's actions on plastic, um, what sort of the general campaigns are?
2: Sure. So Greenpeace is part of the Global Break Free from Plastic Movement, uh, which is a very large, um, essentially, coalition of um, over a thousand organizations that are working to stop plastic pollution and waste at the source. And so Greenpeace has a global uh, Plastic Free Future campaign, and Greenpeace Canada, where I... um, I'm responsible for our oceans and plastics work. Uh, We are part of that global campaign. And so we really, um, I would say, where we focus our attention is on the major producers of plastic. And so some of the big players known as the fast-moving consumer goods companies, so the Cokes and the Unilevers and the Procter & Gamble's of the world, we are pushing to have those Major producers and polluters to move away from their reliance on single use plastics and packaging and uh, have them switch to reuse, refill, and zero waste essentially models of product delivery. And then we're also, um, you know, taking a look at the overall um, supply chain, um, whether it's the food system or other goods. Um, so you know, a big place where the consumer interacts with a lot of single-use plastics and packaging is also at the retail level, so with supermarkets. So we're also trying to put pressure on those major um, distributors um, and also producers of plastic packaging to reduce their plastic footprint and also move to these same models, uh, reuse models, refill models. And then um, I would say overall, you know, what we're trying to achieve is um, a ban essentially a global ban on all non-essential plastics, on the production, sale, distribution, consumption of non-essential plastics, but really starting with the most problematic and unnecessary. And so those are the plastics that uh, regularly end up envir- in the environment. So, you know, what we see when we do community cleanups or shoreline cleanups or in the images of plastic pollution, plastics that are known to be toxic, Um, to human health, plastics that despite recyclability claims are still, you know, going to landfill. Um, So there are a lot of different types of plastics that they say are recyclable. Um, But really, the reality is, is that very little less than 9% of plastic waste is being recycled. And then lastly, plastics that we know have alternatives. So this is kind of the category of problematic and unnecessary plastics that we want governments to act now on to Begin to eliminate from our lives um, and from the environment. So, yeah, those are, I would say, our our kind of major streams of work, and we do that. We tackle those goals in a lot of different ways, but a big piece of it is, you know, actually changing the conversation around plastics, and you know, really trying to counter the industry narrative that we need single-use plastics, that they're hygienic, you know, that it's not a production problem, it's a consumption or an individual responsibility problem. We are trying to really uh, bust those myths and um, empower people essentially to join uh, the reuse revolution and join all of the amazing progress uh, that is going on all around us with those that are working towards a more circular economy and a zero waste future,
0: essentially. Your work must have been cut out for you in this pandemic.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Surprisingly, no. I mean, there's still so much amazing momentum. Um, Yeah, we've definitely seen rollbacks uh, by companies. We've seen pauses by governments that, you know, we're supposed to be moving towards ban on certain single use plastics. But there still is a ton of momentum. There's still, you know, a lot of, Businesses that are operating with their reuse or refill models that haven't, you know, relied back on single-use plastics, but definitely the industry has gone on the offensive and they're really pushing, especially the hygienic um, talking point right now. And yeah, you know, we've we've seen an increase in plastic waste and plastic consumption and plastic pollution in different forms um, during the pandemic, but. At the same time, we've also seen polling in terms of people's desire to continue to move towards bans on single-use plastic. We've seen the numbers go up from even last year. So there's still a lot of um, enthusiasm to break out of our, you know, plastic obsessed lives.
0: Oh, that's so good. I that, Some positive news on our podcast for once.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's so it's rare. <laughs> Yeah, it feels like people really care about single-use plastics, but it's just such an overwhelming problem. I was wondering whether you might be able to tell me a little bit more about, like, if you were to break down what the problem with, uh, the environmental problems with plastics are, uh, could you you maybe explain that for someone that might not be already on board? I guess to start at the beginning, 99%
2: of plastic is made from fossil fuels. So it's being extracted from the ground. And so because it's coming from a fossil fuel, from extraction all the way through to production of the plastic itself, to consumption, disposal, and even once it's pollution, even once it's like in the actual environment, it emits um, harmful greenhouse gas emissions that whole time. And it also pollutes at every single stage of its life cycle. And through its pollution, it's contributing to negative health impacts into on adjacent communities. Um, it is harming wildlife, it's creating air pollution, it's creating water pollution. It is really negatively impacting everything that it's interacting with, honestly. So I think most people listening would be most familiar with the impacts on the marine environment in our oceans and on ocean wildlife, you know, probably many of us have seen the images of a whale with plastic in its stomach that's washed up on shore, or, you know, the the seabirds that um, have ingested bottle caps and the sea turtle with the straw in its nose. Those are, I think, what most people are familiar with. But what people are less familiar with are the beginning of the plastic story, like the the extraction of fossil fuels, the production, the chemo- petrochemical production, um, the pollution associated with that, and how often these developments are in lower income, uh, marginalized communities, and they are disproportionately negatively impacted by the production of the components that go into that same, you know, chip bag that you're uh, purchasing at the store, and so you know, really, it's, it's an issue that plastic is an interesting issue, because it really does touch on so many of the different environmental um, and social justice crises that we are facing today. Biodiversity uh, crisis, oceans crisis, climate crisis, um, environmental racism, it's, it really touches on all of these different issues. And it's interesting, because it is also something that is in our daily lives, you know, and I think most people once they start to learn about plastic waste and plastic pollution, um, and kind of look around, you know, in their usually in their kitchen, mostly they're like, "Wow, actually, it's everywhere," and so much of it really is unnecessary. And I think it's a really interesting way too for people to enter into the conversation about um, the climate crisis as well. It's a good entry point. Um, when people start to make that connection to that, you know, plastic pollution is essentially another form of a sort of a solid oil spill. Yeah, it's, f- you know, from from the pollution that we see in images to um, the less visible forms um, and increasingly the studies that are coming out that microplastics, so um, I guess just to take a step back, plastic doesn't really biodegrade in the sense that we would think it breaks down over time. And it breaks down into tiny, tiny pieces known as microplastics or nanoplastics. And those little plastics are more easily spread through the environment. And so we see it spreading into food chains, into our drinking water, into the air we breathe. And that's another way that pollution from plastic is actually spreading uh, and impacting kind of every corner of our planet, but also, again, you know, it's coming back on us um, and infiltrating our lives in that way as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, microplastics are in our water and we're breathing it. (laughs) I think about that gives you anxiety. (laughs) I like I like that description
0: of a solid oil spill. It's 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 a real it's something I hadn't really considered before, but it really um, encapsulates the like it really gives gets the idea across that
1: plastic is really bad for us. (laughs) Yeah, I'm curious about, is there something that sticks out in your mind as like the most egregious, unnecessary use of plastic that you've seen recently? Oh,
2: geez, where to start?
1: Um, (laughs) Where to start? I mean, I feel like every
2: time I go into a, um, you know, like a quote, unquote, normal grocery store not that it is normal but what we deem as a normal grocery store as opposed to those that are working to reduce packaging for example yeah it's just it's the the produce i think Mm -hmm. yeah sitting on like a styrofoam tray then covered in plastic i mean it there are a lot of different examples of it often the produce like has its own protective skin it's just so interesting to me that that as a society um you know not across all cultures but many have you know relate uh something wrapped in plastic as more sanitary as something that isn't yeah so i think i yeah i find some of that stuff really egregious like just the totally uh, yeah I, i you know just it has its own it has its own packaging you know um, bananas, I think are a good example of that.
0: <laughs> For sure. When bananas come wrapped in plastic, I just, that's a, that's the most face
1: palm of them all. I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so too. Yeah. I once saw a set of avocados that were wrapped. Um, they were on a styrofoam tray and then wrapped in plastic. <laughs> I like, yeah. I see that Why? all the time. <laughs> yeah. They're trying
0: to sell them as a group of three and it's like, Hey, they're ripe. I'm like, I, I can pick up a ripe avocado on my own. Thank you. Uh-huh. <laughs> Totally. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But also like, you know, you go into a coffee shop, not only is it a single use cup, but then it's like double cupped. And then there's also like a sleeve on it, like a paper sleeve. And then it's just like all, you know, the little plastic stir stick and then the little cup, like the lid and then, you know, and, and, and the list goes on. It's like all just for one beverage that's probably going to be consumed in like less than 10 minutes and all of that pointless packaging goes into that one beverage. I also find that totally mind boggling.
1: Greenpeace has, have you guys been engaging with some of the major coffee chains? I'm curious to know how, how that's going. If so,
2: <laughs> we have been, and I would say that um, the conversations are mixed. There's definitely, I would say finally a recognition of a problem. So that's, you know, the first step. I, yeah. Sort of the more public uh, recognition of the problem. Because, you know, let's be honest, these companies have known for a long time that they generate a lot of waste. Uh, I think it's only, you know, though, in recent years that images of their products in the actual environment and their contribution to the plastic pollution crisis, um, and the waste crisis has really uh, been brought to light. And so I think they realize that it is a PR nightmare. Um yeah, you know, but at the same time, we haven't seen the leadership that we we hoped we would see. Um, you know, it seems pretty obvious that uh, these companies, since they're you know, when it comes to a company like Tim Hortons or Starbucks, there's literally you know um, a restaurant almost in every neighborhood or at least in every community. Um, especially when it comes to Tim Hortons, you would think that um, they would innovate in a way that creates a model of reusables um, that works for the customers and for the planet because they're well set up for that. You know, you can get a coffee in Saskatchewan and if you're doing a road trip, you can drop it at a Tim Hortons, you know, on your way into Vancouver. If you were to do sort of like a deposit return scheme uh, that we've seen At a smaller scale in a bunch of different cities um, around the world. But yeah, you know, it's, as I say, it's been really disappointing to see um, that there's been so much focus by these companies on continuing their disposal centric model. So, oh, well, we'll make our cups allegedly recyclable, or or, oh, we'll try to make them from a compostable material. Um, But essentially, they're just perpetuating the same throwaway model and they're not actually thinking about ways to continue to, you know, uh, um, support their customers in their coffee experience, but at the same time, not generating, you know, millions and millions and millions of essentially pieces of trash um, and then often pollution every week um, of every month of every year for decades.
1: Yeah, I, I think you mentioned something interesting, which is like the focus on recyclables and biodegradables wonder if you could tell me why those aren't good solutions to the plastic pollution crisis.
2: Sure. So, you know, like going back to what I just said, which is that it, it just keeps perpetuating this same throwaway model that isn't working for us. So, you know, right now our we exist in a linear economy where we take something from the natural environment, we make something, it then gets turned into waste, and then we repeat, like take, make waste, linear model is what we operate in. And whether it's plastic or, uh, you know, paper, it's all the same waste generating pollution contributing model. And so we know that that isn't working like across the board, how much waste overall we generate um, as, you know, a, a global society, how much pollution we're creating how we're just destroying you know forests and extracting oil and polluting and all of it It, none of it's working so we really need to move away from an extractive model and we need to keep things in a loop like if we have a material we need to be able to use it ideally for the rest of time in some format and so when we you know we've seen a lot of companies um and even governments really you know tried to point to other disposable alternatives as a, as a solution. Um, but when it comes to paper, you know, questions like, is it contributing to deforestation? Like, what is the source of that paper? Um, a lot of bioplastics, a lot of bioplastic are, still has petroleum in it, or it's made from another material, you know, often corn, um, you know, is it coming from a harmful industrial agriculture operation? These are all questions that often aren't asked, and so you know it, that product that alternative could be creating just another environmental problem. Um, but then, when you look at okay, cool, you you allegedly have created a you know not cool, but you know that's what <laughs> the companies are yeah. saying. Cool, <laughs> look at us, we have a compostable cup. Um, it's like okay, so where's that going? And the reality is, is that a lot of the municipal composting facilities can't take bioplastics or a lot of different types of allegedly compostable packaging. So it's actually those products are going to landfill anyway. So it's it's not having a better outcome. And also there's a lot of confusion, understandably, by customers, um, you know, by the public of what do I do with this compostable thing? Is it compostable in my own composter? Is it compostable at the city? Can I recycle it too, even if it's compostable? Will it be recycled? There's so there's so much confusion um, that basically we're just creating a different type of waste at this point, um, and often pollution. We did a, a beach cleanup and brand audit um, last year.
1: Was that where you sort of look at for... Like what brands are have trash on the beach, or
2: yeah, totally. Yeah, so we um, essentially it's it's looking at the companies that are responsible for the branded pollution that you find, and we've created a top five polluters list in Canada, but we've also done it globally in collaboration with a bunch of other different organizations. Um, but the thing that was interesting that we were really paying close attention to last year was that you know we've seen companies like. Coke uh, that owns Dasani water bottles. You may have noticed on the Dasani water bottles it's like, oh, 30% or something plant-based. But that doesn't make a difference if it's in the environment. <laughs> it's still, you know, it's still polluting. It's still either being recycled or not. Like it's not, yeah, it doesn't really do anything. And even when we would find, say, a paper straw or a allegedly compostable cup, they were still polluting, you know, it still takes however long for those to break down in the environment. And a lot of them actually are only designed to break down in industrial composting facilities, they're not designed to break down in the actual natural environment. So all of that to say that we really need to be moving away from disposables as a group and single use plastics are currently the most problematic. that group but they're all problematic Um, and we really need to be looking for reusable um, or just no packaging at all um, depending on you know what the good is Um, we need to be looking at those kinds of solutions and not just thinking we can yeah swap out one disposable with another and that there you go you've ticked the box
1: i'm curious from uh, brand audits like this uh, what are some of the worst offenders when it comes to plastic pollution
2: uh so Nestle is always um like I guess I'll I'll kind of mix the global results and the and the results in Canada. Um but Nest Nestle's always you know in the top of the list. Um Coca-Cola is always in the top of the list. In Canada Tim Hortons is always top of the list. They were second in 2019 for the second year in a row. Um McDonald's comes up a lot, Starbucks PepsiCo, and then we've seen Unilever, and um, I believe Procter and Gamble. Those are other big players. It's kind of who you would expect when you think about walking through the community, through your community, and potentially seeing garbage cans on the streets overflowing. I mean, I I can just walk up my street here, and outside of a Tim Hortons or a Starbucks, I mean, the garbage cans are just overflowing. And bottle caps, you know, you so often see Coca-Cola or Pepsi or Gatorade or whatever bottle caps in the environment. So it's kind of all the, all the brands that you would think because they're very present just in our, you know, in our everyday lives.
1: Yeah. I'm curious about uh, in terms of the shift away from single-use plastics, are there any initiatives that get you sort of excited um, or any that you think are really interesting? Yeah, definitely.
2: Um, We've seen a number of zero waste or bulk refill unpackaged uh, grocers open up across the country. And I find those really exciting because they've gotten a lot of interest. Um, There's really been, you know, a hunger for people, no pun intended, for that kind of model. And they're doing really, really well. And they're, you know, they're always... In my experience, and speaking with them or engaging with them, you know they're always trying to continue to improve and push the bar. It's not, you know, it's not like they're all squeaky clean, the ideal model of uh, circularity and zero waste. But that's also because they operate in a non-circular system and um you know it's been really interesting hearing about the challenges that they face in terms of sourcing product and um you know the different things that they've had to go through in order to try to offer legitimately zero waste or unpackaged goods as opposed to just you know having it be zero waste or unpackaged in the store itself um for customers which is two very different things but those initiatives um yeah, offer hope because there's a lot that can be learned from them to scale up those kinds of models and have the larger grocery chains adopt certain elements of, of those models um, and employ them so that more people can have access to zero waste um, and um, unpackage more sustainable, more socially responsible options. Because um, that's the big issue now is that it's just – it's really – You know, you you really have to go out of your way to truly dodge plastic in your daily life. Um, A lot of people don't have the time or the means or the energy or um, the access. So we really need to look at models that are scalable and scalable quickly because um, this problem is getting worse every day. Uh, But there are lots of those around us if sort of major players would actually Adopt them, and if governments would actually incentivize those um, more circular, reuse, refill, unpackaged models, as opposed to uh, subsidizing, you know, petrochemical and plastic production, which is what has been happening.
1: Yeah, I'm curious, sort of on the government side, what are the kinds of things that you're calling for? Do you think uh, should governments be going for like plastic bans right now, or should they be focusing on like taxing um, straws and things like that? Or what's your approach?
2: Yeah, they should really be um, putting bans in place. Uh, I mean they should have done it a long time ago. We've we have seen some governments around the world that have had, you know, bans in place for quite some time on certain particularly problematic items, but we have we're not seeing like a comprehensive approach, which is what is really needed and it's needed now. Um, we know that plastic is toxic. It's toxic to wildlife, it's toxic to the environment, it's toxic to ourselves and you know the government for example in canada under the canadian environmental protection act it lists toxic substances under this act and then regulates the production or consumption um, distribution of those toxic chemicals and so just like we saw you know with the ozone the whole neozone layer and how governments all came together to ban ozone depleting substances. That's what we need to do here. There's a global plastic crisis, plastic pollution crisis, and plastic waste crisis, and governments need to come together and basically just no longer allow that toxic polluting substance to be created. So we are really uh, trying to push for quick action to, as I say, like eliminate, start to eliminate the most problematic and unnecessary as we work towards um, ideally moving to a place, uh, you know, in a, in a low carbon economy scenario, where not only are we cutting our reliance on fossil fuels, as we kind of think of them most usually you know in gasoline in our cars or those kinds of things um, but also cut our dependence on fossil fuel dependent or fossil fuel byproducts which plastic um, you know is is one of the major lifelines that the oil and gas industry is um, is holding on to as you know a lot of global governments recognize okay well we at least need to do something to cut our emissions but Plastic seems to be getting off um, and not being associated with that. So we're still seeing investment by governments into that part of the sector. So we need bans and we need investment in the alternative, more sustainable circular models that we actually need to be moving to.
1: For sure. I'm curious about uh, one refrain that we'll often hear on issues like straw bans is that it can make Create challenges for people with disabilities, and I'm just curious on what your thoughts are on that issue.
2: Yeah, I mean that is um, that's definitely a really important issue, and one um, that we need to be thinking about when we're talking about alternatives or the solutions. Um, So impacted communities across the board need to be engaged in the discussion of solutions. And you know, for example, when it comes to straws yeah, people with disabilities who require a straw and um, who feel as though plastic is the best alternative for them, they should totally have access to a straw. And so, you know, when we talk about bans of single-use plastics, of course, we need to be mindful of those exceptions and those um, areas that we need to address. So, you know, it isn't about, you know, just this like, blanket blanket approach and not considering the exemptions or exceptions. It's about looking at the main source of the problem and and how we can address the bulk of that waste generation um, and eliminating that. So you know, most straws are unnecessary, and some straws are necessary. And so, if we eliminate the most that are unnecessary, then those ones that are necessary are no longer a problem. You know, that's, that's kind of how we need to be looking at it. And, you know, that's going to come up when it comes to a lot of different non-essential plastics, because people and have relied on them for different uh, reasons. And also they, you know, in some ways they have, of course, like served a purpose, um, and they've replaced other things, because plastic does have its qualities you know, we've definitely seen that in the medical community. But, you know, we at the same time know that there are alternatives, um, or there are the potential for alternatives that could meet the same needs and um, tick the same boxes, but that aren't potentially derived or created from plastic. So yeah, you know, it's it's really about making sure that we're having all of all of the right people in the conversations when we're talking about what the solutions look like. Um, and what needs need to be met for those solutions. Great.
1: Um, I'm curious because it it's July, and so for listeners that might be trying Plastic Free July, do you have any sort of tips on what some of the best approaches might be to either eliminating or reducing plastic use in their lives?
2: So I've definitely uh, personally participated in Plastic Free July. You know, of course, we've done it. Um, Greenpeace has participated in plastic free July in different ways but um I've personally done it as well um and you know experience a lot of the same challenges um, that many other folks are experiencing as they're trying to cut their plastic footprint i guess some things that you know if if you're going to really go for the gusto and try to you know <laughs> not um, completely eliminate plastic from your life for the month of July that, you know, that's a major undertaking and it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of research. Um, it's going to be really interesting and really informative and, and also not sustainable in our current system. So, you know, I, one of the big things I would say is like, don't, you know, don't get discouraged if you can't fully eliminate plastic because it's pretty well impossible for most people to come anywhere close to doing that. But if you, you know, I would say, if you want to just start somewhere, just focus on a couple of items to eliminate, you know, focus on something that seems a little bit hard and and conquer it, you know, go for, if if take out coffee is your favorite thing in the entire world, um, and you just can't, for whatever reason, seem to remember your, reusable cup or you don't have one yeah just try to do that uh i would say and if you're it's also the time of covid right now um so it's it's also a bit challenging um but also you know like what what greenpeace as um, an organization has tried to focus on for plastic free july is also this idea that you know we all need to do our part we all need to think about our consumption. And how we engage with different products and the planet uh, and people more broadly. Um, but at the same time, like as I said several times, we operate in a broken system. And so there really is only so much that you can do as a person or that you know most people can do. And so the really most powerful thing that you can do during Plastic Free July... Is actually use your voice to tell your favorite restaurant or to tell, you know, that large supermarket chain um, or to tell an elected official that you want something different, that you, you know, you want a plastic free option. You, you know, maybe even say to them, I really want to use a reusable coffee cup, but I, you know, for whatever reason, um, me bringing my own cup isn't a reality for me. Um, but I would love to be offered a reusable option. So, you know, just engaging in a way that shows that there is support for something different. I think that's really the the most powerful uh, thing that people can do, other than obviously taking action. There are a bunch of different organizations that have a lot of calls to action that people can engage in. But either try to tackle something that helps you, like, really do research and, and change your behavior a bit that you think will last or use your voice, I would say.
1: Great, and if people want to get sort of more involved in, you know, sort of more political actions on plastic issues, what would your recommendations be there?
2: We right now, actually, um, because for those that aren't aware, um, the federal government has had committed to moving towards a ban on single use plastics um, in twenty twenty one. So what that ban would look like, we don't know yet, but because of COVID, uh, they've delayed that, they've delayed the announcement on that. And while theoretically they're creating the regulations that will inform that ban, um, we sort of don't know what the timeline on that is anymore. But there is still, uh, you know, a need to be moving in that direction. And so if you go to Greenpeace, uh, I think it's greenpeace.ca slash plastic, you will find different petitions that you can sign. Um, and also you can send a letter to the federal government, send an email, um, a letter and email format to the federal government urging them to m- not only move towards a ban, um, but ensure that that ban is really comprehensive so that it's you know a, not just banning one or two items, but actually looking at the full group of problematic and unnecessary plastics and banning the major contributors to the waste and pollution crisis. Um, But we also, globally, we do have a toolkit, and it offers a lot of different ways that you can get involved to help tackle plastic waste and pollution at the source. Um, And part of that toolkit is uh, basically how to engage elected officials um, and how to push for bans in your own communities or province or territory or federally or whatever the case may be. So it does offer a how-to guide if that's something that's of interest. But there are a lot of different towns and cities across the country um, and provinces that you know now have the potential for bans um, and other measures to reduce plastic uh, waste and pollution on the radar. And so, you know, even just doing a search of your, where you live and then looking to see if there are already, if it's already a topic and then doing a bit of research to see, um, how you might put pressure, uh, that would be a good way to, to start.
1: Are there any, um, places that have sort of already acted and are doing really well on plastic bands or is it sort of a planning stage kind of thing?
2: <laughs> well, it's interesting, um, you know around the world, as I said before there are there are a bunch of different jurisdictions that have different forms of bans in place um, with a varied success. yeah I guess the, the varied success is is often related to how strong the industry is either lobbying against it or um, disregarding it you know it, it sort of depends. But we've definitely seen, you know, lots of examples of where bans of certain items have been put in place. And then we've seen either a mass reduction or elimination of that item um, from the waste streams and a mass reduction in the environment. Um, And actually, just recently, one good news story popped up in my uh, news feed. Good news in 2020? What? (laughs) I know. I know. shocking. (laughs) But on July first, it was an exact year since the Prince Edward Island plastic bag ban went into force, Um, and so they've they kind of did like a reflection on the year. And what was really positive coming out of that was that they saw the total reduction of plastic bag waste from the waste stream. So it just was not part of the waste stream anymore. They saw that. While even though cu- businesses were allowed to offer a paper single use bag alternative for a fee, most uptake was of reusable bags, not of the alternative disposable bag, which is a victory. And um, there was really positive uh, support from the public, really positive support from the business community, and even um, the retail the retail council of Canada, which represents, you know, some of the bigger retail players, uh, supermarket players, there was even support there saying, you know, good, this is kind of like level the playing field where all we, there's clarity of what we can be doing or not doing. Um, so it was just a good example of, you know, there is political will, there is interest from the public and everyone kind of worked together to, eliminate, you know, pointless plastic bags from this island province. Um, And a lot of other provinces are looking to them actually following their lead and trying to learn from uh, their example. And, you know, we've seen some other maritime provinces or Atlantic provinces express interest in moving in that direction as well. And so, you know, I think it's, that's only one type of single use plastic, but it's one that they've decided to start with. And while now we sort of, you know, we're past the point where we really need to just be doing a piecemeal one-by-one approach, I think what it shows is that it can work. And if the goal is eliminating waste and therefore not creating the opportunity for waste to leak into the environment, it shows that bans do that. And so that, you know, again, is why we really need to be pushing governments to move in that direction um, and quickly.
1: For sure. Uh, You had mentioned petitions before. And one thing that I'm curious about is when an organization like Greenpeace sets up a petition and people sign it, what then do you do with it afterwards? Yeah, so it
2: depends on the type of petition that we're doing. So um, the the one in support of a strong federal single-use plastics ban, that actually, so that's an email. It's kind of you sort of feel like you're filling out a petition because it's not like it's a lot of work. You don't have to write the letter yourself, um, but you fill in certain fields, and then it, that email actually goes to those people. There are other ones if it's just your you're signing your name, for example, and then you know like more of the collectivism. What we often do is um, we sort of set a time frame as part of a larger campaign. We have a timeline when we're you know employing different tactics in a campaign um, and what we often do is we'll give a petition a certain amount of time to gain uh, to gain signatures and we will often communicate to the target um, often say if it's a company we will communicate to them that the number of petition signatures is rising or this is the number that we're current that you know we currently have when we're communicating with them either publicly or directly. And then we will deliver those um, signatures to the company in one form or another, whether it's through, um, you know, more of like a creative confrontation way, or whether it's actually just putting all of the names, you know, on a thumb drive, and delivering that to, say, the CEO or uh, the decision maker. So it, it comes in a lot of different forms, I guess. But generally... The goal is to have those names, even if they're not initially, you know, being put into a CEO's email inbox. um, The desire is for those names to eventually be um, shared, or the number of signatures shared with the company.
1: And is do you find that that's like persuasive? That companies sort of see this many people have signed, and they think, oh, this demonstrates an interest and might shape what we do. Is is that a powerful tool?
2: It definitely can be, um, especially for companies that, say, aren't often the the focus of, um, you know, public pressure or customer or consumer pressure um, or that haven't really been in the spotlight very much. They see, you know, it's a it's a great way to show public support or support by, say, you know, their consumer base for you know, for the need for them to change, you know, of course there are so many different petitions um, across so many different issues these days. Um, And so, you know, we definitely hear sometimes about kind of petition fatigue or, oh, it's just another petition or whatever. Um, But the reality is that no matter what it is an indicator of support on an issue. And that is something that um, a company or a government can't dispute You know, it's that many people care enough about that particular issue or want change enough to have lent their voice or lent their name to that initiative. And so, you know, we'll often say engage with a company or um, a governmental official and they'll note uh, that they've seen sort of, you know, that the number of the petition has been rising or they're... Uh, you know, taken aback by the the high number of signatures on a particular petition. So you don't always need uh, like a million signatures to, to show that an issue is really worth noting. Um, it just depends on, um, you know, who you're trying to communicate to and or who you're trying to change. Um, and then kind of like gauging. You know what level of support do you think is needed in order for it to have an impact on that decision maker maker that company you know what's gonna make them understand that this petition doesn't it's it's not only this number of people that care this is just a representative you know representation of a growing movement of people that care
1: gotcha. All right, I think that's all of the themes that I wanted to get through. But I always like to ask if there's anything that you either wish we'd asked or that you'd like to tell us.
2: I think it's great that we touched on um, a little bit on reusables or, yes, single use in the time of COVID and reusables. I think one thing to note is that recently Greenpeace and this organization called Upstream Work together to get um, over 125 physicians, scientists, and other public health officials to or experts to sign on to a statement that essentially is meant to assure customers and also businesses that reusables, when basic hygiene um, protocols are employed, um, are are totally safe to be using during COVID. And that plastic is not inherently more hygienic than a reusable alternative. Um, and that's been something we've really been working to highlight. Um, and I think it's been a big question by the public, um, especially during COVID, you know, is it, should I really um, not be frequenting the places that, you know, are have reuse or refill models? And, you know, I think that what's been really great about this sign on statement, is it shows that, you know, it's, it really comes down to just proper health and safety protocols and and sanitation processes. That's what it's really about. And that's, you know, what it's always been about. You know, that's, that's where we need to focus. Um, and it's not that plastic is the thing saving the day, um, or that plastic is the, you know, the most hygienic option. Um, so I think that that, yeah, that's something that I think would be great to to spread more um, widely. Yeah, and then one other thing, I guess, um, that's worth noting, when we talk about solutions to the plastic waste and pollution crisis, I touched on this a little bit, but companies are often just trying to, you know, find that easy swap out or that easy fix to essentially allow them to continue just to produce single-use plastic. And one thing that's been coming up a lot uh, in industry circles and in government discussions around solutions um, is this idea of chemical recycling. And so some people may have seen, um, if they have gone to one of the big supermarket chains, um, Loblaw or Sobeys, um, that some of the water bottles, the branded, the house-branded water bottles, say 100% recycled plastic, recycled content. Yeah, and we're seeing more and more of this. So different, it's often bottle format, but it'll say 100% recycled. So that means that, yeah, that it's made from um, that theoretically, there's no virgin oil that's gone into that plastic product. And companies are really trying to promote that as a more sustainable plastic alternative. But for one thing, Chemical recycling um, is its a very tiny, 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 tiny uh, piece of the recycling sector. It's very, very tiny. It's also very costly. It's energy inefficient. There are a lot of toxic and waste residuals that come out of those processes. We don't know a lot about it. And most importantly, those processes rely on a steady stream of plastic waste into them. And then they still produce a a single use item, even though if you capture every single item and it goes back into that same thing or that same facility, then, okay, you can call that a loop, but that's not the reality because the reality is that billions of single use items are still being produced at the same time and collection and, uh, you know, collection of those items is not effective. So yeah, I just want to flag that, you know, if folks see that hundred percent recycled content, um, and think that it is a better option. Yes, it is not, it does not have virgin oil in it, but it's still a single use item that can pollute in the same way. And that is still, you know, potentially not being recycled. So yeah, just want to flag that it's, you know, There are a lot of things out there that look like they could be a good quick fix, but if it seems too good to be true, you know, it usually is.
1: Right. Okay. So no, no quick fixes, no gimmicks. (laughs) Got to just stop single use. Got it. (laughs) Wow. There was a lot there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sarah, you know what you're talking about? (laughs) What is it? 14 years in the industry now? About that. About that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you can tell. Um, it's nice to hear that you're not totally demoralized having no, worked.
2: <laughs> not surprisingly, I know. <laughs>
0: um, is there a call to action that you have for anybody for, for Plastic Free July or, or just in general? Definitely. Um, if folks are keen to send an email to the federal
2: government, that would be amazing. It takes like two seconds. Um, and you can just just go to uh, greenpeace.ca slash plastic and you will find that that take action box and others if you want to as well but i would say that's the single most important thing that folks can do right now is support you know us as a country moving in the right direction
0: nice yeah i'll uh, i'll put a link to that in the show notes as well so people can find that super easy that's a really good call to action i like it if people want to Follow us on Twitter. We are at Pullback Podcast. We've been getting some shade from the palm oil uh, <laughs> industry. So if people want to, from the from the plastics brigade, want to shade us, we'll take that too. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us, Sarah. We really appreciated talking to you today.
2: Thanks so much for having me. It's been yeah, it's been great to connect.